Hello and welcome to another episode of Life in the Dark, a podcast dedicated to the golden age of radio and Hollywood's classic era. This podcast is part of the Nomad in the Middle network. More information can be found at nomadinthemiddle.com. Broadcasting System presents The Mysterious Traveler, written, produced, and directed by Robert A. Arthur and David Coven, and starring two of radio's foremost personalities, Leon Janney and Ann Shepard, in Christmas Story. This is The Mysterious Traveler, inviting you to join me on another journey into the realm of the strange and the terrifying. I hope you will enjoy the trip, that it will thrill you a little and chill you a little. So settle back, get a good grip on your nerves, and be comfortable, if you can, as we hear the tale of an enterprising young man. It's the drama I call Christmas Story. The name is Steve Farrell, and I've just gotten through playing Santa Claus. Yeah, you're looking at a guy who really played it to the hilt. It all started last month in Seattle. I was out of a job and down to my last few bucks. I was looking through the morning paper when I noticed this small ad in the personal column. Driving to New York, November 15th. Man wanted to assist in driving. Free transportation. Paul Harris, Hotel Royal. Well, I'd always wanted to see New York, and this was as good as any way of getting there, so I went up to this Hotel Royal to see this guy, Harris. Mr. Harris? Yes? My name's Farrell, Steve Farrell. I read your ad in the morning paper. Oh, yes, won't you come in? Thank you. If you haven't already found someone to help you drive to New York, I'd like to offer my services. Well, as a matter of fact, I haven't, uh... Can you leave for New York a day after tomorrow? Sure, anytime. Well, good. Then why not come around at 9 in the morning and we'll get off to an early start? Okay, Mr. Harris, 9 it is. Let me know when you're tired driving, Mr. Harris, and I'll take over. Thanks, you will. Why not call me Paul, huh? Okay. Steve is my first name. Lewiston, 30 miles. Lewiston, uh, that's Idaho, isn't it? Yeah, we're just crossing the state line into Idaho. Oh, this is all new to me. I, I was born and raised in Alaska. This is my first trip to the States. Well, you're going to see a lot of scenery between here and New York. Yes, I'm looking forward to it. Life must have been pretty rugged in Alaska. Oh, it was. My parents were homesteaders. I never saw a city until a week ago when I arrived in Seattle. How come you're going to New York? Well, my parents died last year, and my grandfather, whom I've never seen, wrote asking me to come visit him. you never seen him, huh? No. No, there was uh, some sort of squabble between my parents and my grandfather before I was born, and 
and they went to Alaska. And in all the years since then, my grandfather never wrote to them. Sounds like a stubborn guy. Yeah, he sure does. What are you going to New York for? Oh, mainly to look for a job. And I've always wanted to see the big city. I sure have I. Uh, do you mind uh, taking over now, Steve? My eyes are getting tired. Be glad to. Just pull over to the side of the road. It's a long way from Seattle to New York. And there wasn't a radio in the car, so we just talked. And mostly we talked about Paul. His life in Alaska, his parents, his grandfather. By the time we hit Columbus, Ohio, there wasn't a thing I didn't know about the guy. And from what he told me, his grandfather was loaded. And even more, he was the old man's only relative. It was obvious the kid was walking into a fortune. Yes, yeah, some guys had all the luck. So these are the Allegheny Mountains. Huh? Yeah. You better take it easy, Paul. The road's a little slippery. Okay. How much further to New York? 250 miles. It's getting dark. You better stop for the night at the next tourist court. All right. Well, we should be able to make New York by tomorrow afternoon. Yeah, easy. What are you going to do when we get there, Steve? Oh, start hunting for a job. Uh, look, Steve, uh, why don't you come to my grandfather's house with me? I I'm sure he won't mind putting you up for a few nights. Oh, thanks, kid, but don't worry about me. I'll be all right. Uh, Steve, I, I don't want to lose track of you. I, I, I thought we were friends. Sure we are. As soon as I get located, I'll let you know where I am. You know, uh... I thought this being your first visit to New York and mine, we might see the town together. You know, the Statue of Liberty, the Statue Empire. of Liberty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, while, while we're the same age, <laughs> I'm afraid I haven't been around very much. I guess it's like you said, I'm, I'm strictly from the woods. <laughs> <laughs> Just one year in New York and you'll be hep to everything. Your eyes bothering you? Yeah, a little... You better let me take over when you get to the bottom of this mountain. Okay. You know, you ought to see an eye doctor. Your eyes seem to get tired awful quick. Well, the truth of the matter hey, is... Hey, look out, kid. We're starting to skid. No, don't jam on the brakes. That only makes it worse. Now, re reverse your wheel. I have. Steve, we're skidding off the road toward the mountain. Give me that right. wheel and do as I say. We're out of control. We're going over. <laughs> When I regained consciousness, I was lying a few feet from the car. We'd rolled 300 feet down the side of the mountain, and the car was completely wrecked. I crawled to my feet and felt for broken bones. Other than a bad gash on my head and a mass of bruises, I was okay. I limped the few feet to the overturned car and looked in. Paul was still behind the wheel. Even before I reached for his pulse, I had a feeling he was dead. Paul's luck had run out. He'd never see all that dough that was waiting for him in New York. Yeah, it was then that it came to me. I hadn't wished the guy dead, but now that he was, and nobody in the States knew Paul or what he looked like, and on the other hand, I knew everything about him... Well, it was a gamble, all right, but there was a fortune in the kitty. I went to work switching our clothes and all identification. Just as I finished, the state police patrol car came along the mountain road and spotted the wreck. They took me to headquarters where I made a complete statement. A couple of hours later, I grabbed a train for New York. Oh, 
Well, uh, I'm George Marlowe, your grandfather's attorney. How do you do, Mr. Marlowe? The Pennsylvania State Police informed me of the dreadful accident you had. I understand a man who was with you uh, was killed. Yes, a fellow by the name of Steve Farrell. I met him in Seattle. He assisted me with the driving. Too bad, but uh, thank heavens it wasn't you. It would have been your grandfather's death blow. How is he? Weak. Very weak, but eagerly waiting to see you. All right, come along. Yes, sir. How's that gash on your head? Oh, not too bad. It was treated by a doctor at the state police headquarters. Uh, you can only spend a few minutes with your grandfather, and uh, excitement must be avoided by all means. I understand. And here we are. How is he, Joan? He's much better this afternoon. Good. Uh, Joan, uh, this is Paul Harris. Paul Joan Dietrich, your grandfather's nurse. How do you do? Hello. Paul. Is that you, Paul? Yes, sir. Come over here where I can see you. Yes, grandfather. So, you're Paul, my grandson. Yes, sir. Sit down by my bed. Let me look at you. All right, grandfather. Uh, you... You don't look like your mother. Must take after your father's side of the family. Yes, I do. That... That bandage. What? What happened, Paul? Well, I was in an accident, but it's nothing. Just a scratch. You're, you're sure? Yes, yes, of course. I, I suppose you're wondering why I sent for you after after all these years, cutting off your mother, father. Does it matter now? The main thing is, I'm here. You know, lying here for months, I've had a great deal of time to think things over. I was wrong, Paul. Your mother, she had a perfect right to marry anyone she wished. It was only my stubbornness that prevented the reconciliation. We all make mistakes. Yes, yes, but 30 years of not seeing my own flesh and blood. It's been lonely, Paul. So lonely. And all my fault. But you're not alone anymore. I'm here. Yes. Yes, Paul, yes. What little time I have left, we must spend together. I think that's enough for now, Mr. Marshall. Paul can come and see you later, after your nap. Oh, just a few more minutes, John. After your nap. Oh, she's a wonderful girl, Paul. But a tyrant. Come see me as soon as I'm awake. All right, grandfather. Now let me fix your pillows for you. Just your being here seems to have helped him, Paul. What do the doctors say, Mr. Marlowe? Week, month, several months at the outside. That bad, huh? Yes. Well, you must be tired after your trip. I have your suitcase taken to your room. Uh, do you have any other luggage on the way? There's a small trunk coming, but it won't be here for weeks. If you need any money, just let me know. Your grandfather's placed a considerable sum at your disposal. Thanks. But I still have 2000 left of the 5000 he sent me. Very well, Paul. 
Remember, if there's anything at all you want, just let me know. Yeah, I was in. There was no question that I'd passed as Paul Harris. And why not? I had all the answers, and I was playing it careful. I walked through room after room of that Fifth Avenue mansion, knowing that within a matter of months, it would be mine. In the weeks that followed, not a day passed, and I didn't spend a few hours with the old man. He liked me, I could see that. And the funny thing is, I liked him, too. During our little chats, there were times I felt I was his grandson. And sitting in at these little sessions, not saying much, just watching with those gray eyes of hers was Joan Dietrich. She was one lovely dish. And I could feel things building between us. Whenever she got an evening off, we went out together. Having a good time? Wonderful. I love dancing. Why, Mr. Harris, what are we doing out here on the terrace? The music's in the air. <laughs> Too many people in there. You know, if you don't make a pass at me soon, I'm going to get discouraged. <laughs> Ours is a short acquaintance. Three weeks. <laughs> What's the time got to do with it? <laughs> the day I walked into my grandfather's room, first saw you, you knew this moment would come. Mm. Oh, stop. Oh, I feel the same way, baby. So I was flying. Love me? You know I do. And why the tears? Oh, I do love you. And I want to believe in you, but I'm so confused. So confused. About what? Go on. I want to hear. Are you really Paul Harris? What makes you ask that? In your talks with Mr. Marshall... Several things you said seemed strange. Such as? Well, your grandfather spoke of a restaurant in San Francisco, and you said you knew it. Yet if you are Paul Harris, how could you not? Paul Harris has never been to San Francisco. I might have taken in San Francisco on the way to New York, you know. What else bothered you? You mentioned the television show you'd seen six months ago. There is no television in Alaska. If you're Paul Harris, how could you have seen it? People up in Alaska see kinescopes of television shows, baby. They show them like movies. Oh, darling, just tell me I'm wrong. That's all I want to hear. I wish I could tell you I'm Paul Harris. But I'm not. You're not? No. The name is Farrell. Steve Farrell. Steve Farrell? Hmm. Wasn't that the fellow that was killed in that... It was Paul Harris who was killed. You changed identity. Yes. Oh, how could you? How could you? I was tired of being broke. Of going from one lousy job to another. I saw a chance to grab a fortune. And took it. What are you going to do? I should go to the police. I can't. Mr. Marshall thinks you're his grandson. He's extremely fond of you. If the truth were to come out, it'd kill him. Is that the only reason you can't go to the police? Oh, Steve, what are we going to do? Nothing. Nothing. A 
That's right. I'm going on being Paul Harris until the old man dies. Then I'm taking the estate. You can't, Steve. You can't. Why not? While the old man's alive, I'm making him happy. If I get his estate when he dies, who loses by it? It isn't as though he has other relatives. Why shouldn't I get it? No, it's wrong, Steve. It's wrong. It's wrong only if you're caught, baby. Only if you're caught. Hello, baby. What you doing up here on the roof? Just getting a little fresh air while Mr. Marshall sleeps. How is he? He can't last more than a few days. Who are you crying for? The old man? Or me? Both of you. Oh, Steve, ever since the other night when you told me, I haven't been able to think of anything else. It's wrong, Steve. It's so wrong. Who am I hurting if I get the estate? I deserve it if anyone does. At least I'm making the old man happy in his last hours. What if you're caught? Do you realize they'd send you to prison? That's the chances you take, baby. Besides, who's going to get wise to me? There's Mr. Marlowe, and he's nobody's fool. Just one little slip, Steve, and he'll be on to you. Marlowe's a sharp citizen, all right, but I don't intend to make that one slip. Someone's coming up onto the roof. Hello, you two. Thought I'd find you up here. Hello. How are you, Mr. Marlowe? Quite well, thank you. I understand uh, Mr. Marshall's asleep. Yes, I left Mrs. Walker to look after him. He should be waking up soon. Maybe we better go down. My grandfather has... Oh! What's the matter? Something in your eye, Paul? Yes, it's a cinder. Oh, left eye, huh? Yes. But stop rubbing it. Put your handkerchief over it. Yes. Yeah. That's it. It stings like the devil. Go on over and sit on the chair. And I'll uh, try to take it out for you. You want me to... Uh... Assist you to the chair? No, no, I can still walk. Now sit down and tilt your head back. Hmm. That's it. Take the handkerchief away. Oh, I see it. Hold still. There, I got it. Thanks, Joan. I think we'd better go down now. Yeah, okay. You coming, Mr. Marlowe? What? Oh, yes, yes. I'm coming. Mrs. Walker said that Mr. Marshall was asleep and she looked in on him a few minutes ago. Seems he's still sleeping. Perhaps we'd better leave and wait until he wakens. No, no, no. I'm going to wake him. It's time for his medicine. Mr. Marshall? Mr. Marshall, time for your medicine. Mr. Marshall. What, what is it, Joan? There's no pulse. Are you sure? Yes. He's dead. Well, at least the end came peacefully. He died in his sleep. Joan took the old man's death hard, and I felt pretty upset myself. Even with all that dough waiting. As for Marlowe, he was his usual efficient self, looking after all the details of the funeral. Maybe it was the tension I was under, but Marlowe seemed changed to me. He wasn't quite so friendly. And sometimes I turned to find him watching me, giving me the cold eye. 
I couldn't be sure whether it was my imagination or not. After we got back from the funeral, I was in my room when there was a knock on the door. Come in. Oh, hello, Joan. Come in. Mr. Marlowe's downstairs in the library. Wants to see you. Close the door. Anything wrong? Plenty. Whose trunk is that you're going through? Paul's. It arrived this morning while we were at the funeral. Steve, what's wrong? I've just been going through some of Paul's personal papers. I knew, of course, that he was 4F in the draft, but I never knew why. What are you trying to tell me? Paul was 4F in the draft because he was blind in the right eye. Blind in the right eye? Yes. That's why I've been getting the cold shoulder from Marlowe these past three days, ever since the afternoon we were on the roof. I don't understand. Somehow Marlowe knew that Paul was blind in the right eye, and when I got that cinder in my left eye, I covered it with my handkerchief. You told me to walk across the roof of the chair, sit down. Yes, I remember. At that point, Marlowe offered to lead me to the chair. Knowing you were blind in the right eye and had your left eye covered with a handkerchief. Yes. When I walked over to the chair without hesitation, that must have started him thinking. Oh, Steve. Now, don't get panicky, baby. Marlowe can't be sure he's right. At the moment, he's just suspicious. But if he really investigates... I've got to kill the suspicion in his mind. Stop him from doing any checking. But how? I don't know yet. Come on, he's waiting for us in the library. Sorry to have kept you waiting, Mr. Marlowe. Quite all right. If you'll excuse me, I'll go... No, Joan, don't go. No reason why you shouldn't hear what I have to say. Tomorrow, Christmas Day, I'll officially read Mr. Marshall's will. However, I don't think I'm violating a trust in telling you the contents of the will. Two weeks ago, Mr. Marshall had me draw up a new will, leaving his entire estate to you, uh, Paul. I see. He was quite taken by you, felt that you were a credit to his name. Why are you crying, Joan? Nothing. <laughs> As administrator of Mr. Marshall's will, it is my duty to see to it that the heirs, or heir, receive their just inheritances. This duty I shall fulfill. I understand. I am responsible under law for the awarding of the huge estate left by Mr. Marshall. I shall have to... Is uh, your eye troubling you? You've been doing nothing but rubbing it since you came into this room. Sorry, Mr. Marlowe. As you know, I'm blind in my right eye, and now and then my left eye feels quite strained, particularly at a time like this. My grandfather's death, the funeral. You understand? Why, yes. Yes, of course. You were saying? What? Oh, well, it's not important at the moment. I'll be here tomorrow at three for the reading of the will. See to it that all the servants are here. Very well. Good night, Joan. Paul? Good night, Mr. Marlowe. Good night. Steve? He's confused. That business of the eyes. He doesn't know what to think now. Yeah, it stopped him for the moment. But only for a moment. Hard to tell. But I've got to do something once and for all to convince him I'm Paul Harris. I didn't get to sleep that night. I just tossed and turned, trying to come up with an angle that would kill Marlowe's suspicions. Maybe that business of rubbing my eyes had satisfied him, but I had to make sure. It was a difference between being handed a fortune and a prison sentence. <laughs> 
This afternoon at 3 o'clock, the servants, Joan, Marlowe, and myself gathered in the library. The whole thing was over in an hour. The servants all congratulated me and left the library, leaving only the three of us there. I should like to offer a toast to Mr. Marshall's memory, if you'll permit me. Of course. This uh, was his favorite cherry. Joan? Thank you. Paul? Thanks. Here's to Peter Marshall, a man who lived honorably, died honorably. May his heir be worthy of him. As the three of us raised our glasses to our lips and drank, I could see Marlowe watching me over the brim of his glass with those cold blue eyes of his. We set down our glasses, and I turned to give Joan a cigarette. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw Marlowe pick up one of the three wine glasses. Suddenly, I realized it was my glass he picked up. He held it casually, almost as if he didn't know he was holding it. In that moment, I was going nuts, trying to guess whether he was satisfied that I was Paul Harris or he was still suspicious and going after me. My fingerprints were on that glass, and the Army had a copy of those prints in Washington. This was it. Either I play mice and go for the fortune or throw in my hand. Suddenly, I felt Joan's hand in mine. Um, say, Mr. Marlowe. Yes? You say this will, leaving me my grandfather's estate, is a new one. Yes, I drew it up only two weeks ago. What was the old will like? Well, under the old will, uh, your grandfather's estate went to charity. Hmm. I thought as much. Mr. Marlowe, Joan and I have been talking things over. I don't want the estate. I want it all to go to charity, as originally intended. Gee, me, I seem to have dropped my glass. You realize, of course, what you would be giving up. I never really had it, Mr. Marlowe, so I hardly think I'll miss it. Joan and I will get along, won't we, baby? Oh, yes. Well, Paul, is that your considered decision? It is. It's a gesture worthy of Peter Marshall's grandson. Yes, and that little gesture did it. Any guy who gives up a $2 million estate can hardly be called an imposter, can he? No, sir. It's Christmas, and I've just played Santa Claus to the tune of two million bucks. The thing I keep wondering about is, what would have happened if I hadn't given up the estate? Would Marlowe have gone after me? Or was he satisfied that I was Paul Harris? Yes, sir. That little puzzle is going to give me plenty of thought for a long time to come. <laughs> traveler again. Did you enjoy our trip? Or what happened to Paul Harris? Or rather, I should say, Steve Farrell? Uh, he and Joan were married, and the poor fellow's now working at an honest living. Uh, yes, uh, sometimes he thinks of the $2 million estate he gave up, uh, but then with taxes, what they are, what could he have kept in any case? Uh, only a fortune. Which uh, reminds me of a story in which another enterprising young man allowed himself to be killed for the sake of acquiring... 
Oh, you have to get off here. I'm sorry. But allow me to wish you a Merry Christmas before you go. And remember, I take this same train every week at this same time. Just heard The Mysterious Traveler. Now you can enjoy other tense and exciting tales of The Mysterious Traveler in the current issue of The Mysterious Traveler magazine now available. In our cast were Leon Janney, Ann Shepard, and Lawson Zerby, with Maurice Tarplin starring the title role. Music under the direction of Emerson Buckley, composed by Richard DuPage. The Mysterious Traveler is written, produced, and directed by Robert A. Arthur and David Cogan. On this Christmas night, 1951, we send special greetings to Mutual's affiliate in San Antonio, Texas, radio station KMAC. Today, KMAC celebrates its 25th anniversary. Best wishes, KMAC, and congratulations. Bill Tonkin speaking. This program came to you from New York. Here, the 27th consecutive renewal of the East-West game and the annual Blue-Gray game. It's another mutual listening must. Not just one, but two of the season's biggest intersectional gridiron clashes will be aired for the sports-minded American listening public on the afternoon of Saturday, December 29th. The greatest names of the 1951 collegiate grid season are on the rosters of the competing squads. Remember, the action starts Saturday over most of these same stations. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. Costello program starring Bud Abbott and Lou Costello brought to you by Camel, the cigarette of costlier, properly aged tobaccos. The Abbott and Costello program with the modern rhythm of Will Osborne's orchestra, Iris Adrian, our singing star Connie Haynes, and spotlighting that chunky, chubby little cherub who, when caught asking a neighbor lady to take her shoes off because his uncle Artie Stebbins said she had crow's feet, calmly said, I'm my here fixing up the house for the party tonight. Oh, hey, Abbott, I had to get down to jail to get my landlady out. You know, Mrs. Satchel Push? Yeah. I had to get her out on bail. What do you she mean? She got arrested for shoplifting. They finally caught her. Uh, I thought she mm-hmm. was too smart to get caught. Well, she made a mistake. She stole an alarm clock and hid it in her bustle. Well, how, how did they catch her? Her bustle went off at a quarter of eight. <laughs> well, never mind your landlady. Never mind your landlady. Did you send out the invitations for the party? Oh, yeah. I got them right here. Look what it says. What is it? Luke Costello invites you to a Christmas party to be held at his home, B-A-P-O-B. B-A-P-O-B? Yep, yep. You mean R-S-V-P. Oh, no. I mean B-A-P-O-B. Bring a pound of butter. (laughs) Oh, boy. What a party I'm going to have. My Aunt May will bring her cranberry sauce. That's her specialty. Aunt Catherine will bring her plum pudding. That's her specialty. And Ann Eva will bring her 14 children. That's... Uh, that's a nice family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Never mind your relatives. 
Look, forget about your relatives for a minute, Lou. Yeah, yeah. Uh, did you remember to get souvenirs for everybody? Oh, souvenirs. Yes. Yeah, I'm having favors for the girls. At 12 o'clock, I'm going to turn the lights off. Oh, yeah. Uh, any favors for the men? What do you call turning the lights off? Uh, look, Costello. Who did you invite besides your relatives? Oh, a lot of movie stars. And I invited Lana Turner. And she kissed me. Lana Turner kissed you? The smoke isn't coming out of my ears for nothing. <laughs> look, Costello. How about the tree? Uh, did you get a tree? Hmm? Did you get a tree? Oh, did I get a tree? Yes. I got the biggest Christmas tree you oh, ever that's saw. Well, I just got through putting it in the living room. You did. What a tree! It's six feet higher than the ceiling. Well, it's a shame to have to cut the top off. That's the way I felt about it, too. Sure, sure. So I cut a hole in the ceiling. I have. <laughs> you cut a hole in the ceiling of our, our living room? Yeah, this will be the first Christmas we ever had a tree in our bathroom. Talk, then. Look. What kind of a tree did you get? Is it a fur? Oh, yes. It's one of those... What did you say? I said, did you get a fur? No, I got a tree. Uh, oh, stop this silliness. I, I, I want to see your fur. See my fur? Certainly. What am I, a silver fox? No, 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 you dummy. I'm not talking about uh, fur, F-U-R. The fur, the fur, I mean, has an eye in it. Oh, the fur has an eye in it? Yes. Just one eye? Uh, certainly there's just why one eye in fur. Must be I, J. Fox. No, 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 look. I'm... I'm... That's still when I'm talking to you. Yes, sir. I'm talking about a fur tree. Mm -hmm. Now, will you quit talking about the fur with you in it? You doesn't belong in the kind of fur I'm talking about. I doesn't belong in that kind of fur? Oh, yes. I belongs in it, but uh, you doesn't. Well, why should you belong in fur if I doesn't? I happen to look better in fur than you do. I'm prettier than you. I'm cuter than you. Fans, lovely Connie Haynes repeats the song she helped make so popular. 
high Dutch collar and my high top shoes and my hair far high up on my head. I went to lose a jolly hour upon the trolley and lost my heart instead. With his light brown derby and his bright green tie, he was quite the handsomest of men. I started to yen, so I counted to ten, then I counted to ten again. Ding, ding, ding went the bell. Zing, zing, zing went my heart string. For the moment I saw him, I fell. Chug, chug, chug went the motor. Bump, bump, bump went the brake. Thump, thump, thump went my heart string. When he smiled, I could feel the car shake. He tipped his hat and took a seat. He said he hoped he hadn't stepped upon my face. He asked my name, I held my breath. I couldn't speak because it scared me half to death. Buzz, buzz, buzz went the buzzer. Flop, flop, flop went the wheel. Stop, stop, stop went my heartstrings. As he started to leave, I took hold of his sleeve with my hand. And as if it were planned, he stayed on with me. And it was grand just to stand with his hand holding mine to the end of the Thank you, Connie. I can't think of anything quite as pleasant as your voice. Except, perhaps, the smoke of camels on my T-zone. The T-zone. T for taste, T for throat. The zone where smokers test the smoke of any cigarette. Right. It's with his own T-zone that each smoker must judge a cigarette. How the first cigarette of the morning tastes on your tongue. How even the last cigarette of the day feels to your throat. Only your T-zone can tell. That's how millions of smokers, forced to try many different brands when cigarettes were scarce, learned how good a camel is. And that's why more smokers prefer camels today than ever before. C-A-M-E-L-S For camels are the choice of experience. Costello, what did we have to come downtown for? Oh, I gotta get some more spaghetti, Abbott, so I can finish trimming my Christmas tree. I couldn't find any tinsel this year, so I'm trimming a tree with spaghetti. And boy, does it look beautiful! Oh, what's beautiful about trimming a tree with spaghetti? Every time I plug it in, the meatballs light up. <laughs> there yes, you go. I do. There you go with that silliness again. Hey, Abbott, look who's in the car. It's that movie actress, Betsy May Mucho. Hello, Miss Mucho. Hello, boys. Gee, I'm glad I saw you. I want to invite you to my Christmas party tonight, Miss Mucho. Oh, I'm very sorry, but I have to go down to Los Angeles. I'm having a dinner party at the Ambassador Hotel. <laughs> the Ambassador Hotel. Oh, sure, Abbott. You know where the Ambassador is. That's the home of the Cuckoo Nut Groove. <laughs> Oh, it's going to be a thrilling dinner. Yeah. We're going to have crab louis and steamed clams. Clams? 
call? No, I'd rather have a plate of Floyd Oosters. <laughs> well, I must be skedawdling along. I beg your pardon? I must be skedawdling along. Oh, well, we the same. So tight. I sure knock off those Spanish words, don't I? Well, that's one turn down for your party. I don't care, Rabbit. I don't care if she don't want to come. Well... Here comes my girlfriend, Lena Gensler. She'll come to my party tonight. She's madly in love with me. Ah, there you are, you sawed-off Boris Karloff. <laughs> Standing on street corners, flirting with girls. I wasn't flirting with any girls, Lena. I'm saving myself for you. Thanks, Faso, for saving so much. <laughs> I've got a bone to pick with you. I put some of that perfume you gave me on my hair. Wait a minute. I think it has a nice golden tint. Uh, what is it, Chanel number five? No, Kemptone number seven. Roller <laughs> and all. You little worm. Please, Lena, let's be friends. I'd never desert you. I'd stand by you. I'm as solid as the rock of Gibraltar. I can believe that. You're sticking out in the Mediterranean. <laughs> Look, Lena, don't talk like that. I was just going to ask you to come to my Christmas party tonight. Are you kidding? I'm going out with Van Johnson tonight. Oh, Van Johnson. You always talk about Van Johnson. <laughs> Take away his blonde curly hair and what do you got left? I don't know, but you can deliver it to my house in the morning. <laughs> Goodbye. Well, there's number two that ain't gonna come to my party hey, tonight. Hey, Catella, look. Isn't that Mrs. Niles getting off the streetcar? Oh, hello, Mr. Abbott. Do you always stand on street corners leaning on a trash can? Oh, that's Costello. I didn't recognize him. <laughs> he, he looks like the third day of the last weekend. You know, I wish you hadn't said that, Mrs. Niles. I was going to thank you for that beautiful Christmas card I got this morning. Oh, it really was nothing. It was merely a picture of me smiling. I know it, but how did you get your teeth to spell out Merry Christmas? <laughs> Stop that, or Mrs. Niles won't come to your party. I wouldn't come to his party anyway. I always run around with younger people. It helps me to keep young. Oh, in fact, I dread to think of life at 70. Why? What happened then? <laughs> I've had enough of you. Goodbye. Well, it looks like you're not going to have any party. That's the third turndown you've had. I don't care, Rabbit. Uh, Let's go home. I'm going to call up some of my other friends. I'll get somebody to come. Here, come on, let's grab this cab. Cabby, drive us to North Hollywood. North Hollywood? What's the matter with Glendale? There's nothing wrong with Glendale. I don't live there. Oh, Glendale ain't good enough for you, huh? <laughs> go on, go on, Costello. Say it. Glendale is a one-horse town. Glendale ain't a one-horse town. Oh, then why did I lose my job with the city street department? Go on. Ah, don't stand there. Say it. Say, tell people I'm not a citizen of Glendale. Go on, say I never even voted. You voted. You voted. You voted. Three times, huh? <laughs> go on, go on. Start a rumor. Tell everybody I got paid when I voted. Merrithead, you didn't get a cent for voting. Oh, the six dollars they gave me was for a dog life. Oh, now I'm a dog, huh? Tell everybody I'm a dog. Throw me a piece of liver. I wouldn't throw you my liver. What's the matter with your liver? All right, you tell me what's wrong with my liver. Get a load of this punk. Now, he wants me to go to school for four years, study day and night, 
needs to be a doctor just so I can tell him what's wrong with his liver. <laughs> Melonhead, I don't want you to go to school. Oh, you want me to be a moron like you. <laughs> please, please, fellows, this, this is the Christmas season. Remember, peace on earth. Yeah, Melonhead, why do you have to pick on me like this? Yes, Melonhead, haven't you ever heard of the expression, turn the other cheek? Boys, you're right. I feel sorry for everything I said here tonight, and I, I'd like to turn the other cheek so I can feel the humility. Costello, will you please slap me? You mean that? Yes. You mean... Oh, I slapped you before I should, didn't I? Go ahead, slap Okay. Now, now, slap the other cheek. Here. Are you kidding? No. Yeah. Thanks, Costello. You know, nobody would ever believe that Melonhead would turn the other cheek. Costello? Yeah. Will you please write down on this paper here that I did? Oh, sure. Sure. I, Luke Costello, slapped Melonhead on both cheeks. There you are. Now, I suppose you're going to show this to all your friends. No. I'm going to show it to my lawyer. I'll sue you for assault. I'll sue you for battery. Get me a lawyer. Get me a judge and a jury. I'll you. Get me out of here! And now, back 25 centuries for the wisdom of Ethan. Experience is the best. Teacher. Yes, experience is the best teacher. When cigarettes were scarce, most smokers took what they could get. One day one brand, another day some other brand. What did that experience teach? Well, actions speak louder than words. Yes, actions speak louder than words. The actions of smokers today speak louder than any words about any cigarette. For after more experience with different brands than ever before, more smokers are asking for camels than ever before. See, Camels are the choice, for experience is the best teacher. Jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Oh, jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride Well, Costello, it's 12 midnight. Not a soul has shown up for your party. I can't understand it. I don't know. Nobody showed up for my party at all. I thought my girlfriend, Lena, would surely show up. Yes. It's a shame that you aren't going to, to get to kiss her under the mistletoe. The what? The mistletoe. Didn't you ever kiss a girl under the mistletoe? No, I always kiss them under the nose. <laughs> well, it looks like nobody's going to kiss you tonight. Yes, Abbott. All my friends have deserted me. I'm just a failure. Ah, oh, no, you're not, Costello. You're a big success. No, Abbott, I'm just a complete flop. No, you're not, Costello. You're a great guy. Now, no, Co Abbott, I'm just a sort-off little ugly-looking dope. Well, don't stand there. Argue with me. <laughs> oh, stop this, Costello, please. I'm going to bed, Abbott. Good night. Wait a minute. Aren't you uh, going to hang up your stocking? No. Santa Claus won't even come here. Now, that's wrong, Costello. Santa Claus loves everybody. He doesn't love me, Abbott. He don't. Santa Claus has never come to my house on Christmas since I was seven years old. I was a smart-aleck little kid in those days, just like some boys and girls are today. I went around saying I didn't believe in Santa Claus. If a kid come up and said he believed in Santa Claus, I used to say, Ah, oh, you're nothing but a sissy. There ain't no Santa Claus. That's your father. But now I realize how wrong I was. I want to tell all the little boys and girls what happened to me. Let's all be children again. Let me take you back to Christmas Eve some 20 years ago. I'd been out all day playing with my friends Chowderhead Abbott and Skinny Niles. It was a beautiful Christmas Eve. Snow was falling. And you could see the lights on the Christmas trees and all the houses. I'm dreaming of a fire. 
out. <laughs> well, there's no money in that cat. Oh, uh, yes, there is. Last night when Polish Man Poker, I heard him say, everybody put money in a kitty. <laughs> for your father now. No, that was kind of a sneaky knock. It's probably the Iceman. Oh, never mind the door. I'll see who it is. You go wash your dirty face. Oh, Ma, why can't I just go up and, 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 and cover the dirt with powder like you do? Why, it's the little Abbott boy and the Niles boy. Uh, we came over to tell you what Louie did. He came over to my house and asked my mother to bend her head down so he could see her horns. You snitcher. Why? <laughs> Why, Louie Costello, you naughty boy. Whatever made you think that Mrs. Abbott had horns? I heard you say that when she got dressed up, she looked like the devil. <laughs> yeah, Nanny Doll, she did either, Miss Costello. Louie said my mother keeps a cat in the icebox. Why, Mrs. Niles does not keep a cat in her icebox. Then why does everybody say she's got a frozen puss? <laughs> you children, stop this arguing. And, Louie, you get ready for bed right away. Santa Claus will be coming along any minute now. Good night. Gee, I can hardly wait till Santa Claus gets here. Listen, Kenny. I, I hear sleigh bells. Yeah, and I can hear him walking around on the roof. He's getting ready to come down the chimney. <laughs> two years old. I gave it the only pin I had. <laughs> all right, all right. Let, let the whole thing drop. That's what happened. <laughs> and finally, Luke, the biggest black mark against you is that you've got a book under your mattress. Yes, sir. Santa Claus, it's only a book about how to make tea the right color. How to make tea the right color? What's the name of it? Forever Amber. <laughs> 
Well, I guess that settles it, Louie. I'm afraid there's nothing I can leave you for Christmas. Nothing? You mean just plain zero? Yes, that's right, Louie. Maybe someday when you've learned to behave yourself, I may come back again. Well, good night. Gee, I guess I'm just the kind of a boy my mother don't want me to associate with. Nobody likes me. Even Santa Claus can't stand me. Buddy Abbott and Kenny Niles both got presents, but I didn't get nothing. I'm going to write a letter to my mom and my pop, and then I'm going to run away from here. Dear mom and pop, when you read this, I will be thousands of miles away. Don't ever look for me because you're not going to find me. I'm never coming back. Maybe someday when I'm old, about 11 or 12, after I make a million dollars, I'll come home and I'll buy a, a nice new dress, Mom. And I'll give Pop a new pair of overalls. That's what he calls his happy clothes. Please take the fleas out of my flea circus and put them back on the dog so they won't get homesick. And don't forget to feed my little pet skunk twice a day. There's a clothespin hanging by his cage. I love you, Mom and Pop. But this is the best way out. Your loving son, Louis Costello. Boys and girls, that happened over 20 years ago, and Santa Claus has never come back to see me to this day. Please, kiddies, take a lesson from me and be good boys and girls so that next Monday night, Christmas Eve, you won't be waiting for Santa Claus that didn't come like I've been waiting for all these years? Oh, come, Lou. I guess we'd better go to bed. Hey, look! The Abbott! What? It's Nina and Connie Haynes and it's Melonhead and Ten Isles. Oh, boy! You all came to my party. Yes, yes, and I'm here too, Louis. Santa Claus! You finally came and you even brought your horse with you. What horse? It's me! <laughs> Pardon me, Mrs. Niles. Gee, I didn't dream that anything like this was going to happen. I thought that nobody cared about me anymore. I was dreaming of a sly Christmas. I thought my friends had passed me by. Why, you know, Costello, that you're one fellow that we all think you are loved by both the kids and old folks Though you have whiskers on your jokes <laughs> May your life be merry and bright And may your, your Christmas
Stella will be back for Camel Cigarettes in just a moment. And now, this week's salute in the new series of salutes to the men who won the victory. Tonight, we salute the 66th, the Black Panther Division, heroes of L'Orient, Saint-Nazaire, and the Army of Occupation. In your honor, men of the Black Panther Division, the makers of camels are sending to other servicemen still overseas 500,000 camel cigarettes. Camel Radio shows thus honors the different units of the Army, Navy, Marines, and Coast Guard, a total of a million camels sent free each week. Camel broadcasts go out to the United States twice a week, are rebroadcast to practically every area in the world where our men are stationed, and to our good neighbors in Central and South America. And now, here are Bud and Lou with the final word. Uh, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, wait a minute. I, uh, hey, Abbott, wait I, a minute. I don't see that guy here that always yells, No, no, not that! You know, Out here, Costello. Oh. I didn't want to spoil oh. the Christmas oh. spirit on your show tonight. Oh, that's awfully sweet of you. I also want to thank you for that lovely present you sent me. That's mm -hmm. the best game I ever played. Game? I didn't send you any game. I sent you an autographed picture of myself. How do you like that? My wife and I sat up all night trying to pin a tail on it. <laughs> Good night, folks. A Merry Christmas to everybody. Yes, Merry Christmas to everybody. And don't forget to buy another victory bond at your local theater. Merry Christmas to everybody in Patterson, New Jersey. for another great Abbott and Costello show brought to you by Camel Cigarettes. And remember, try camels in your tea zone. See if they don't suit your taste, your throat, to a tea. Just four more days till Christmas. Are there still any blanks on your gift list? If you know a pipe smoker, here's a grand answer. The colorful Christmas tin of Prince Albert tobacco. It holds a full pound, 400 pipefuls of the world's most popular pipe tobacco. The tobacco that's crimped cut for slow, cool burning. The tobacco that's processed to remove bite and sting before it's packed. And you won't have to shop around for that present. You'll find the Christmas tin of Prince Albert most everywhere tobacco is sold. And be sure on Saturday night to tune in the great Prince Albert radio show... Grand Ole Opry, coast to coast on NBC. The Abbott and Costello Show for Camel Cigarettes will be back at this very same time next week. Don't miss it. This is Ken Niles in Hollywood wishing you all a pleasant. Good night. This is the National Broadcasting Company.